Well, hello there. I was just coming in from the kitchen, and my, we've got a strange new visitor here today. I'm Stanley Stinkup, and I'm here to sell you and your church some new ideas. Would new? you like to buy an idea from me? New ideas? I'm not sure if I want to just buy any new idea that's out there. Well, it's an idea that will make your church grow fast. Don't you want your church to grow fast? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know if we should just buy any old idea. Well, you know, you know what? I see that you're a wise man. You just don't want any product that was clearly designed for profit. Uh, so how about this? Hold on, hold on one second. How about the first one will be on me? Go ahead, use this coin. Well, this is quite an interesting coin. I'm. It's kind of got the same thing on both sides. It's got oh, the just, fount, oh, it's, fountain of youth. Yes, 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 yes. It's fountain of youth on each side. So just slip the coin right in my bank of new. New ideas. And I'll tell you the new idea to grow your, your church. Just put it right here in the bank. Do it. Do it. Well, I guess I have nothing idea. Here goes our fountain of youth coin into the bank of new ideas. New ideas. Ah, uh, yes, sir. The new idea that you just purchased with that fancy fountain of youth coin is this. Why are you letting those other people tell you how to worship? They don't even know what the world is going to be like in 50 years. I mean, did Jesus dress like that? or have church service that way? You know he didn't. Therefore, tradition is what you want it to be. Tradition is what you want it to be. That is interesting, Mr. Stankup. Let's go to the studio and talk about this. Thank you for joining us, and we are now at the studio. You know, they never tell you all the people you'll meet in the church. Um, a skunk puppet is not one of the things that we always expect to meet, but Oddly enough, it was actually a real skunk that was what brought me to be at Jolton in the first place over 10 years ago. But Anthony didn't know that, that it was circumstances involving a real skunk in the church that brought me here. But again, that's long past. Anyways, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are a few others here with me in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. Pastor Anthony Alegria. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And thank you so much for joining us. Please feel free to join in on the conversation as we talk about seven deadly lies that are sold to the church. And before we go much further, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Pastor Anthony, would you pray for us today as we come together to study this interesting conversation? Yes, I will. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may the meditations of our hearts here in this studio and in the audience and the words of our mouths be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So the first of the seven deadly lies that we're going to be studying is that tradition is whatever you want it to be. Now, tradition and nostalgia are not the same thing, and that's going to be a critical point of our conversation today. So really, Christian tradition should be something that we are following, and it's something that we should look to, and it's something we should be teaching others about. Now, Stanley Stankup, that wonderful skunk who slipped in on the church for me, he came and said this, why are you letting those other people tell you how to worship? They don't even know what the world is going to be like in 50 years. Did Jesus not dress like that and have church services in that way? Of course, you know he did not. Therefore, tradition is what you want it to be. So that's what was sold to us by Stanley Stinkup. And Mr. Stinkup, he sold it to us for this fountain of youth coin, which again, it has the fountain of youth there on both sides of it. Um, just throwing this to the studio real quick. Um, what do we think about this? 
We're not going to give anybody an answer just yet. At the end of the program, we're going to say whether what Mr. Stankup was saying was good or bad. But just initially, what are your thoughts on tradition as it is compared to nostalgia? Pastor Amanda? Well, I, I think at first it kind of, we think of nostalgia as the way maybe we interpret tradition um, or how we perceive how traditions have happened in the past. Um, so we could kind of, I think at first glance it may be odd to put these two terms at odds with each other, um, but I think through this conversation we'll begin to see how we're using these words specific, specifically in this episode. Yeah, tradition is something which is interesting. You hear it as one of the low-hanging fruits. You hear people talk a lot of times. They'll say, oh, well, that's a very traditional church over there, and we want to go somewhere which is a little bit more new and modern. But in all honesty, whenever I have seen most people talk about tradition and wanting to get away from tradition, they haven't actually been talking about what is real Christian tradition. They've been talking about nostalgia. Typically, it's someone else's nostalgia that they're trying mm -hmm. to get away from. Do y'all see this? Is this something which is a... A reasonable critique. Is this something y'all y'all have noticed before? Throw that back to you, Pastor Amanda. Yeah, well, and, and I think also the opposite, kind of those who want to stick with tradition, it's actually their nostalgia. And so a lot of times when there are splits in the church, although there are occasions when there are very meaningful and legitimate splits, um, I mean, you can look at things like the Great Schism and the Protestant Reformation, uh, where there were some serious things that were being argued. Uh, however, it seems like there are some other times the church has split, and it's been over, like you said, more nostalgia, more of what I want than it has been over legitimate uh, church tradition. Yeah. All right, so that is the main thesis of our program today. We're going to be talking about what really is Christian tradition and how does nostalgia relate to that. Now, being somebody who likes nostalgia, again, I like things from my childhood. I was born and grew up in the 90s where everything was these ugly colors and jagged shapes. Anthony knows the sort of ugly things that I like. We well, grew I was going to say, uh, did, did we see the thumbnail today? Uh, yeah, did you see the thumbnail today? It was today? a visitation to, it, it was, uh, it's like neo-90s. The thumbnail that's going to be used for this whole series is a visitation to 90s nostalgia for me. But things like Furbies, you know, they're, they're really weird. But I like those. They're nostalgia. And nostalgia in and of itself is not bad. And pursuing new things that is not nostalgic in and of itself is not bad. But whenever you make tradition out to be the whipping boy, that's when things get bad. And if you don't know what The Whipping Boy is, there's this horrible book that many of us read in middle school that whenever the prince does something bad, instead of the prince being punished, The Whipping Boy gets punished. Whenever nostalgia does something, in other words, people come in and they don't like something going on in a church and it's not something that's true kind of Christian tradition, but it's someone else's nostalgia, they'll then take and whip up tradition and they'll move away from who the church is really supposed to be. Um, Pastor Mike, any thoughts on this before we start talking about the fountain of youth and how it relates to this coin? Well, I think uh, obviously that the, sometimes the line between nostalgia and tradition has been uh, often blurred. But I, I will say that, you know, tradition is very important and transformative for us. Yeah. Tradition is a great thing. It is. It is a very good thing. We always... Like, we live in the day and age where people act like it's an insult to say, oh, that's an old traditional congregation. It's like, hello, yes, well, welcome to the kingdom of God. We've been doing things that we've been commanded to do. Being accused of being traditional is really really not that bad. Anthony? I think Pastor Amanda pointed out something that is important, and that is that sometimes that people do sort of become detached from what was the foundation of the tradition and whatever is left as its vestige though they don't understand it they grew up with it and so now they like it and so that's sort of what uh we're saying is nostalgia and um that's also a problem that what might be the other side of the coin yeah but we're, we're gonna get to that coin 
Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So this is the fun of having a whole studio and conversations. And please send us your thoughts, questions, and comments. Join in with us. So we're going to talk about this coin. Now, as we go through the seven deadly lies, I think you'll be finding that Mr. Stanley Stankup is going to be having us purchase a lot of lies using various coins that have different sides of them. But this first lie that we've been sold was sold with the same thing on both sides, though there's obviously two sides to this coin that are both centered around the fountain of youth. So let's talk about one side of this. And this is where we find people wanting to throw out things in order to attract youth. And again, like I said earlier, attracting youth, looking for new things is not inherently bad as long as you are still connected to those foundational things. And that's why this is considered one of the seven deadly lies is because when people conflate nostalgia with tradition, they find themselves detached from the fundamental things which signify who we are. All right, so this first side of the coin. There are times in church history, and this has happened in the past and it happens now, where people are looking to have some growth in the church. They want something new. They're looking for youth. And so they come to the whipping boy and they say, oh, we've got to kick tradition out because we want the fountain of youth. We want something new. And again, they're not really trying to get rid of tradition or they shouldn't be, but what is in the way and what's often being called tradition is actually nostalgia. So this is the temptation for people to put young people in charge of things simply because they're young, not because of their qualities. Again, we can clearly find throughout the New Testament, it's fine to have young leaders in the church, provided they're prepared. Is that not something we find quite clearly? I, I also, I just think it's a little ironic. Um, the people of us are who are talking are all, are all, I guess, younger people. I don't know. Maybe Dylan and I are getting too far past our college years to still say we're young people, but um, we're relatively young. Is what it's, it kind of makes it interesting that we're saying these statements. Yeah. But uh, yes, the the focus should not be the age, but the yeah. Yeah. And this is the desire that believes if we can simply put a young face, a new, fresh face on things, then we can have achieved something good and people will come. You can attract people this way, but you also run the risk of cutting yourself off from what the church is really supposed to be doing. Hey, you better slow down. I'm going to lose some opportunities here. (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of opportunities, I had an opportunity a while ago to drive a bus for um, the Nazarene University that's nearby across the country with a bunch of college students. And this is a great example of this pursuit of the fountain of youth. Um, All these students, they had some connection to the church. A lot of them were going to be working in the church. And while they were on the bus, they came to the notion that the Church of the Nazarene needs an anthem. And so all they're sitting back there and they're saying, yeah, let's pick out an anthem. What song needs to be our anthem? And I was like, well, well, hold up for a second. The Church of the Nazarene has an anthem. Holiness under the Lord. Whenever people get ordained, they march to it. Um, You find holiness under the Lord written on a lot of stuff throughout Nazarene churches. That's our anthem. Well, a big thing is um, I think there's at least one or two history books that include lyrics or straight up the title, um, Holiness Unto the Lord for the Church of the Nazarene. So, I mean, our identity is pretty well uh, connected to the hymn. (laughs) Yeah, well, these college kids, they heard me say that that was our anthem, which most of them didn't know what the song was, but they were totally repulsed by it. They looked at me, and without hesitation, without any contemplation, they didn't have to vote. They unanimously all responded saying, that is your anthem. That's for your generation. I need something for my generation. And I was sitting up there, and I'm thinking, what, what's up with these kids? I'm, I'm not that much older than them. I'm, I'm like not even 30 yet. I'm getting close to 30. And I was looking at them, and they're, they're thinking I'm like a million years old. Um, and I was like, 
Last time I checked, holiness under the Lord is a lot older than me. That's not my generation's thing. If anything, I'm a lot closer to y'all's generation than the one that produced that song. But anyways, this is really this side of the coin. And we see a lot of problems that happen with this. Um, you see things like recently with the guy from Hillsong, Marty Sampson, he walked away from the faith. And again, these same college kids, one of them at a different time was telling me Hillsong is the most powerful driving force of Christianity. And yet the songwriters they have for it aren't very rooted in their faith. They're kind of like that seed that falls on the rocky soil. It can't build roots. And if you have that be the driving force and you think that is Christian tradition, well, you're not going to get very far. Hence why even some of their own members have walked away from the faith. And then we see other things like Joshua Harris walking from the faith. He's a, a young guy, was a young pastor, giving a lot of marriage advice and stuff like that. Again, wasn't very rooted. Not only did he get divorced, and I'm not here to just beat up on these people, but we also see a lot of people looking back at this stuff saying, that wasn't good theology, that wasn't good marriage and dating advice. We kind of just jumped on the bandwagon because it had a young, fresh face on it, but it wasn't something which actually was spiritually disciplining in the long run. So the problem with this is that you're pursuing things because they're young and you're kind of just hunting for the fountain of youth. Now, the other side of this coin is also the fountain of youth, but from a different angle. And this is the idea that people come to the church and they want to pretend that tradition is a time machine. Now, there are a lot of people out here who they look to their Christian walk and they remember the wonderful things which happened when they were saved. And that's good to, to reminisce on that moment. But some will take and elevate the moment of salvation to be the pinnacle in the Christian walk. And they want to return to that. So they consider the nostalgia of that moment to become something which is fixed tradition. Now, life in the church is not a time machine in that sense that it locks you into a single moment. And this is a side of the coin that gets beat up on all the time, so I don't really spend a lot of time with it. And it's kind of the low-hanging fruit for people who just kind of get stuck in their ways. But this is something which happens, and we see how this manifests in different ways. But regardless of what side of the coin you're on, neither of these are really tradition. Somebody back me up on that. Is is like something like Hillsong music <laughs> tradition? Well, no. yeah. Well, I think this is one of the reasons, kind of reaching back to one of our conversations, we can think back far enough to when we talked about the sacraments and what made something a sacrament. We never included music. And I think one of those reasons, particularly in, into this conversation as we're talking about nostalgia versus tradition, is music is so changeable. Yeah. And so it has no tie to the universal truth of worship although we can see even way back in uh before even the church is established if you consider the start of the church at kind of pentecost long before that you have king david and the people of israel writing songs to praise god so praise is part of tradition singing is a part of tradition but never has one particular medium or uh of music been a tradition and so that's where we're trying to differentiate here yeah, yeah um this this but like you said we often tie our emotions and our our feelings of salvation and maybe even that time when we were on fire for christ to something very tangible like how the church looked or how we want the church to look or how music sounded or how we want it to sound in the future so much so that we make these decisions based on that versus the overarching call uh, or I guess really not call, but the call as seen through Christian tradition. Sure. And here's the truth about this coin. 
Whether you're on the side that says, I want the fountain of youth because I'm pursuing something just because it's new, just because it's fresh. And you hear people make these arguments all the time. They say, oh, those people, they have no idea what the world's going to be like when I'm an adult. Therefore, why do I need to listen to them? Whether you're on that side or you're on the other side that says, I want to get back to that moment in the past. They're both sides of the same coin. They really are. The truth is, is that both of these are the same side of the coin and they're both buying into the same lie and the sad truth is is when these are taken to an extreme people forget the real traditions well, pastor and, mike and you know i think it's true for what pastor amanda was saying too you know anytime the the medium becomes so important that it overshadows the primary expression of what's going on then we have a real problem and that is on both sides of the coin that they're reaching back to their medium uh, rather than the primary expression of praise and thanksgiving to God. And yeah, so what you're saying is they like the sound of the music more than they like the, the praise actual and thanksgiving yeah, that's yeah. going on. Well, Pastor Mike, let's actually get to some scripture. Would you mind reading from us out of Romans 12? Because now we're not here just to beat up on this stuff. We want to lift things up and show some true traditions in the church. I mean, the whole purpose of this is not just to sit around and be naysayers, but to move people and make sure that we're all fortified and prepared for the many things that life throws at us, that the temptations that come to us. So we're going to read from Romans 12, and I want us to be looking for this. Our definition of tra tradition that we're using today is structures, rituals, and practices handed down from the origins of the church that are essential to who we are as the body of Christ. So as Pastor Mike reads this scripture, I want you to look for those things. Romans 12, uh, verse 1, be attentive. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that are different that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in portion to faith. Ministry in ministering. The teaching, the teacher rather, in teaching. The exhorter in exhortation. The giver in generosity. The leader in diligence. And the compassion in cheerfulness. Pastor Mike, when you look at that, mm -hmm. all of those things that you said there in the end, and just to give a, a quick recap on that, you had the prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving. Um, generosity. Yeah, generosity there, leading with diligence, being compassionate and cheerful. Are all of these things, do they fit that definition as structures, rituals, practices, you know, disciplines that are there in the origins of the church? They're there from the time Jesus has called and commissioned the church. Are these oh. things that are essential to the, the nature and the life in the church? Yes. Absolutely, and, and we see those listed, you know, from the Apostle Paul, and we see some form of them listed over again, as Paul writes, uh, in different places, but well, yes. Yeah, well, let's go to that, if you okay. would. And I know, I think you're going to go to Ephesians 4. 
Ephesians 4, and I'll begin at verse 10, so be attentive. He who descended is the same who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Fascinating. And right here, I think we can say that these gifts that we have there are clearly things that are traditional roles in the church. You've got apostles, um, the prophets. And again, if you don't know what apostle really refers to those who are eyewitnesses there with Jesus is a lot of times how that's used. But they are, again, they're disciples. Um, so we've got the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Does that not sound like similar roles we have today, Pastor Amanda? Yes, and I think, I mean, we don't normally call people apostles much anymore. Like you were saying, it's kind of generally we refer to leave that to those, that kind of first generation. But apostles is basically kind of, it means sent out ones. And we still see people being called to be sent out. Uh, prophets, again, that one we don't normally use, but it basically means to be a mouthpiece of God. And, and also, we'll put a little caveat on that one. You better be really sure when you say you're the mouthpiece of God, you're saying what God wants you to say, not what you're feeling. But anyways, we'll continue. Uh, evangelist, that one's the one we hear a lot. Pastor, teachers. Um, and to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This is a fantastic also concept here because this, again, this word saint, especially in Protestantism, we may not use a lot, but this means holy ones, set apart ones. Um, and this is the call for all people within the body of Christ, not just a specific Amen. few as in the ones who went to college and got a degree that then now we get to call them reverend. This is for everyone. And this is an integral part, particularly as we're talking to about tradition. What is the tradition of the church? It's to equip people so that they can share the good news with others. Yeah. yeah, and to your point, Amanda, you better be sure that you're really saying things <laughs> of God. And that sounds really stern, but as long as your heart is in the right place, it's not something... You, our faith is never asked of us that we must be able to articulate the fine points of, of doctrine. Oh, yes. And but the, at the same time, we can't be heretics. Right, yes. And I'm sorry, I didn't want to take over what you were saying. And, and I think we were discussing in, ser in um, the, not sermon prep, uh, but in the video prep, how all of us as ministers, sometimes we thought about some sermons, especially maybe we preached early on and we're like, wow, that was dumb. Yeah. Um, that was not quite right. So I don't mean something like that. But I think with good effort, with good diligence and study and discipline, sometimes we may still say something and go, ooh, not quite right. But that's different than just saying, hmm, I like my nostalgia. So I'm going to go out here and be like, I'm the mouthpiece of God. Listen to me and all others will, you know, fall before me. There, there's a different kind of temperament that's and being called for here. It's different than when people say, I just want something which is new. Right. Well, Great yes. heretics of old, Montanus and Maximilla and Priscilla. And no, it's not that Priscilla. <laughs> Everybody says, oh, is it the one with, with no, no, not that one from the New Testament. But these were a couple hundred years into the early church, and they came along saying the new prophecy because they knew that there's a lot of people in the church who have bought into this lie of the fountain of youth, and they hear new prophecy. Well, this sounds good. We're going to be closer to God. And Montanus, Maximilla, Priscilla, total heretics. Um, they accumulate a lot of power, manipulated a lot of people. Not good things happen from that. But we're not going to spend a lot of time on them. But the truth is, this coin that has purchased a lie has been around for 2,000 years. People have been buying into this for a long time. It's not new. But nonetheless, there is, there's hope. Pastor Amanda? Well, I was just going to say, especially to you saying about new prophecies and things like that, that's one of the reasons that we kind of finalized our canon as, as Scripture. And that's not to say that God can't speak 
in new ways to us today that people can't have those kind of natural revelations or or personal revelations with God. But we kind of capped our, our canon in saying this is kind of all that because we did want to keep this from other people saying, well, I've got a new idea. Yeah. And you're like, so no, it has to be in line with everything from Genesis to Revelation. Um, and also this is why you see hear words when we talk about our scripture, the idea of canon uh, which is, you know, our scripture, which means ruler. It's it's that measuring stick by which all other things should be measured. And sometimes it gets out of whack. We kind of become, we have to be careful. Uh, we don't become fundamentalists with scripture. And that's why, again, we go to the Wesley Quadratal. It, <laughs> I can't say that word now. Uh, but we have scripture and tradition and reason and experience that all speak into each other so that we don't overemphasize. But we have to have a good understanding of what scripture and tradition and reason experience are for us to have that kind of conversation. Sorry, I've gone off on a bunny trail. <laughs> oh, you're good. But that being said, we're going to look to some other things which tell us who we are historically and look at the roots of Christian tradition. Um, Pastor Amanda right now, she's slipping outside to go check out our resident anchorite who we have not seen in a while. But uh, we're going to find out a little bit about what the church has really been doing. There's an old handbook called the Didache that's been with the church for basically 2,000 years, and we're going to go check that out. Pastor Amanda has run out back to find Athanasius, and I'm going to let Anthony cut to our outdoor viewing to see exactly what she's found. Thank you for joining me outside. We're with Athanasius the Anchorite. Hey, Athanasius! We're so glad you could be here. Oh, just to remind you guys, an anchorite is someone that is purposefully uh, walled up in a church so they can pray and show their dedication to the church and study. Yeah, there you go. Very strong. Um, well, our purpose for here today is to learn more about the Didache. So Athanasius, do you have something about the Didache for us? You do? Okay. Well, can you get it for us? Uh, hopefully it's in English. My uh, ancient Greek is a little rusty. Yeah? Oh, there we go. Awesome. Well, we'll look at this more once we get into our nice warm studio. Thank you, Athanasius. Alrighty. Now that we've made it back into the studio, we're going to be looking here at what we found from our anchorite Athanasius, and we're going to look to the Didache chapter 14. Now, the Didache, it's an old handbook in the church, very essential to what people have been doing. It's not so much something that was ever meant to be scripture, but it helped us understand who we are. In chapter 14 in the Didache, it talks about Christian assembly on the Lord's Day. So, you can imagine this to mean what it's like to come together on Sunday for worship. So, let's read chapter 14 from the Didache. It reads as follows, Christian Assembly on the Lord's Day. On every Lord's Day, gather yourselves together, break bread, give thanksgiving after having confessed your transgressions, that your sacrifice may be pure. Let no one who is at odds with his fellow come together with you until they be reconciled, that your sacrifice may not be profaned. For this, that which was spoken by the Lord, in every place and time offered to me a pure sacrifice, for I am great and a great king. Thus says the Lord, and my name is wonderful among the nations. So we come to this, in this section of the Didache, which again, has been with us for 2,000 years, it shows us some fundamental things which are Christian traditions, things that we should all be doing. And again, if your church is doing them, 
and they're doing that in accompanying with nostalgia or maybe new things, that's totally fine. But these are the things that we must be doing. Pastor Anthony. And um, just so that people are clear on what we are trying to say, we're not saying that we must be doing these things to be saved or anything like that. It's just that this is what is the faithful response to God's work of salvation in you. And so sort of like how um, the faithful thing to do for God once uh, you've been saved by his son, Jesus Christ, is to go out and proclaim the good news that there is salvation available to people. It's not that you have to do these things to be saved, but it is that if you really do believe, then you have every motivation to go out and proclaim the news that more people might be able to participate in that salvation. In the same way, these traditions are set forth as a faithful response to uh, what God has done in our lives. Yeah, so this section, it shows us these things. We're to be breaking bread and having Thanksgiving. Isn't there a, another language we use for this within our sacraments? Breaking bread and Thanksgiving? Yeah, what, what does that look like normally? What well, doesn't Eucharist mean? Yes, yes, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have been <laughs> I didn't know quite if you were, so if you were lowballing that for us or not. Well, yeah. I was just, I like to ask rhetorical questions. Oh, the Lord's oh, Supper, Lord's and, Supper and, and expect yeah. an answer. Yeah, Lord's Supper, communion. These are things which we find here in the Didache. The breaking of bread, Thanksgiving. Sacrifice is also on there, which is fascinating. Confession and reconciliation. Now, again, this is talking about between people, and this chapter is pretty clear about that. But one of the other things which was also assumed, and while it's not in chapter 14 of the Didache, we do find it in Paul's writing, is that the church is retaining a lot of Jewish tradition, which is the reading of the word, reading of scripture. We see Jesus doing this. Then teaching of the scripture. A lot of times we kind of say speaking the word and reading the word are the same. They really are a little different. One of them is just the objective reading of scripture, and then the other is the teaching of that. Then, of course, things like tithing and offering prayers to God would be included in that as well. And one of the things that we have not discussed yet so far is the role of the Lord's Prayer. That is also something that's been with the church all throughout our history. And there in the early church, those first few Christians who really understood they were followers of, of Christ Jesus, a lot of them, if they had the Didache in the church, they were taught to say the Lord's Prayer at least three times a day. And that, that was just part of their prayer life. I mean, you would expect to do prayers beyond that, but you said the Lord's Prayer at least three times a day. Um, we also don't think a lot about fasting much anymore, but again, that falls in that category of sacrifice. It has a similar logic to that, even though it's a little bit different than like a, a blood sacrifice or something like that, which again, the church doesn't need to do because Jesus is a sacrifice, but it does fit in that system of logic. So back to our main question, what is a tradition and how do we make sure that our church is not bought into the lie where we say we'd rather have the fountain of youth than tradition? So. These, again, are structures, rituals, and practices handed down from the origins of the church that are essential to who we are as the body of Christ. So let's just recap this a little bit. Pastor Mike, could you take us back through what are the elements of Christian worship? That chapter it told us about what we do on the Lord's Day. What is essential to that? Can you run me through those elements real yeah, quick? Absolutely. Reading of the Word, preaching the Word. Uh, obviously, and this is a, a good one, reconciling with one another. Before, before gathering together, and of course, gathering together on the Lord's Day, uh, breaking bread, confessing transgressions, giving thanks and praise, um, prayer, tithing, sacrificing, and of course, participating in the sacraments. Now, one of the next things I want to talk about is positions in the church. We live in the day and age where people think of the roles in the church, and what do they think of? Like youth pastor, children's pastor, 
visitation pastor, PowerPoint pastor. Like they, <laughs> they get, there's like diminishing returns on how many times you can use the word pastor. But historically, we have traditional roles in the church. That, that's true. And, you know, we, the, the scriptures really just tell us pastor, but it also says that of the prophet, the minister, um, uh, the, the encourager, leader, uh, the evangelist, which is uh, the Greek, comes from the Greek word of evangelize or euangelion. Spreading the good news. Bring the good news. That's exactly yeah. what that is. So, uh, yeah, th those words are there. And then we have bishop, prophet, deacon, teacher. Uh, all of these things are very important part of our, uh, our, our Christian traditions. And you can find these in your churches. You can find someone who's the yeah, pastor. Absolutely. Now, in the Church of the Nazarene, we don't have bishops. But we do have DSs. We have DSs. District I, superintendents. We, I will put all jokes aside for how many <laughs> DSs think they are bishops. Um, I know. We, we take vows of poverty here at Kingdom of the Logos. No one will ever employ us again. Um, I, I, I'm not saying my current DS thinks he's a bishop. I don't think that at all. But there are cases out there where people want to be bishops. Even local pastors who want to be bishops, if you want to know the truth. Yeah. These, these things happen. We even have some lay people who want to be bishops. So anyways, bishops are a real thing. We have DSs in the Church of the Nazarene. You have people who are prophets. They're speaking the word. We've done whole programs on where the role of the prophet has gone. And deacons and teachers. We have these roles out there. Well, and the thing about the bishop, it is someone who is a leader. And in fact, we do need someone. And, and the, the way our district superintendent is set up is one who not only advises and gives direction, but in certain cases, he does step in. Yeah. And bishops are good. I'm not here to act like that's like no. a negative thing. Th these are, are good things to have. Mm -hmm. And then we have, also as part of the traditions of the church, the Eucharist, which is also known as the Lord's Supper, and baptism. Those are, of course, the two sacraments that we um, have here in the Church of the Nazarene. Most denominations have these as the only two, though you will find some, um, the Catholics, you find some high churches that have a full seven. And the other five they have, aside from the Lord's Supper and baptism, they're traditions in the church too, and we still do them. Mm -hmm. And that list is made up of confession, anointing the sick, marriage, ordination, right? so laying on of hands and giving people um, orders holy of orders. ministry. Yeah, mm -hmm. the holy orders. And then also confirming and educating new believers. We in the Church of the Nazarene usually have different discipleship programs where we talk about these sort of things. But these are all rituals. These are things which are essential to who we are. And we look at this and we realize as much as people are tempted to say the world is changing, nobody knows what it's going to be like in 50 years, all of the things which really are fundamental to human life have been around. They, they really have. Yeah, iPhones haven't been around for the last 2,000 years, but all things necessary. Um, did people in the past not have Christians that were both young and old alike? Did they not have people from different cultures, different backgrounds, speaking different languages? Do we think that all the Gentiles and the Jews in Jesus' time spoke the same language? And just got along perfectly. They got along perfectly. And different cultures. Totally different cultures. Yes. Yeah. If you're out of Jerusalem and you meet somebody from, I don't know, Laodicea, you think those two are going to... Well, and Gentiles and Jews. Yeah. Just, you know, so there's a lot of, lot of, of differences coming together, being united. And a lot yeah. of these traditions, when they're held in a very orderly way bring a lot of unity yeah, and do. unity they in do. Christ. And good things can happen when we teach our traditions. And the reason why we're talking about the fountain of youth and the fountain of youth, whether it be a time machine or just wanting a new face on things, is being a lie that's sold to the church, is so often we do find people who forget about these things. And that's very tragic. 
they forget the role we have when it comes to communion. Um, and I know there's a lot of Nazarene churches that don't like to do communion on a weekly basis. Well, I think particularly to that point, we're talking about nostalgia versus tradition. This is a really great, I think, opportunity to bring out uh, a lot of Nazarenes and some other denominations that were birthed out, out of a similar time. Uh, say you have to have, uh, or traditionally, really nostalgically, have communion once a quarter or once every three months. The reason for that was because many of them were in rural places where only a traveling minister could get to them about once a quarter, every three months or so. And so we see that this tradition was birthed out of a real necessity. Yeah. However... Scarcity. Yeah, well, scarcity. Yeah, scarcity. And the reason that... By understanding the reasons for this, we can say the tradition is having the Lord's Supper. Nostalgia is how often. And really, we, we've talked about... Um, in the past, especially when talking about the Lord's Supper, John Wesley says, as often as you can. Um, it, there's this command of, of love and grace. That is the tradition. Yeah. The nostalgia is how often or right. through what means. And I'm sorry to take over. <laughs> I was just, but, I think that's a good opportunity yeah. for to use this language we've been using all episode to actually put it into a, a real uh, instance. Yeah, and the, the story behind that's real fascinating. I'll throw that out there real quick. So most of us, Church of the Nazarene, our roots are kind of in the Anglican tradition. So the church there of England, whether you like that or not, it's the truth. So um, we, when the Americans had the revolution and won that against the Brits, they, they kicked all the British out. And all the Anglican priests had to get out. And there were only four that were able to be left behind. And of the, these were ones that were able to be to the level of ordination where they could actually go out and officiate the sacraments. And with the size and geography of this new America, they could only make it to every church at minimum once a quarter. So that's really where the whole do it once a quarter thing came from. It was out of the scarcity of that, of, of preachers running on circuits, trying to get to all these churches, and they couldn't do it um, on a weekly basis. So Anthony, any thoughts on this before we move on? I would just like to say, firstly, that it should be remembered that in those times, uh, churches, many churches and church groups were um, under the state. And so in many ways, the uh, Anglican priest, if I'm not mistaken, would have been servants of the state. And um, though they were servants of Christ first, I'm just saying, it's well, not like they I, kicked out like... all British Christians. No, 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 yeah. It wasn't like just a simple prejudice thing. It was these people work for the government. Yeah, they're They're getting money from the government. A connection. Yeah, which is what I'm trying to say. They're they're almost very similar to functioning to um, certain civil servants, even though there's definitely their priority should be to serve Christ. And that's just one thing I wanted to point out. They're not just discriminating against the church and uh, saying because you're part of the church, you're not allowed to remain in the United States. I think you're alluding to the fact that the throne of England is serving as the earthly head of the church. Of course, Christ is the head of the church, but it's the throne of England. Yeah, is completely. There Al- the Although, um, I mean, it is pretty historically true that Protestant churches were very, very seriously connected to the government and still are. There are churches in uh, throughout the world that are still relying on the government. But in any case, second thing I just wanted to say was you guys have demonstrated well that if you're going to be trying to determine the difference between a real tradition and nostalgia, a lot of it's got to do with the reasoning. And so once uh, you no longer live in the scarcity of ministers and you can celebrate communion more and do it as frequently as we can, as uh, the teachings of the church have historically been, then it's time to return back to those reasons now that you don't have the reasoning of scarcity 
in you. Is that sort of like a good uh, summarization? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, and let's get over to our final thoughts. We'll wrap this up. <laughs> so I do hope that there are those of you out there who have sent us your thoughts, questions, comments. Please feel free to continue doing that. Um, but let's get back to our original point. Um, Stanley Stankup, who's a suspicious character, he's got his <laughs> new ideas there in his his bank, though it's pretty clear he's covering something else up there on the bank. <laughs> he came to us and said, why are you letting those other people tell you how to worship? They don't know what the world's going to look like. We know Jesus didn't dress like you do and have church services in that way. And then Stanley Stankup takes us to the point where he says, therefore, tradition is what you want it to be. Um, so... And final thoughts, is what Stanley Stankup is selling us for the Fountain of Youth, is that a lie, that tradition is what you want it to be? Well, it, it certainly is a lie because uh, what he's doing is blurring the lines between nostalgia and, and uh, tradition. And tradition and, well, worship, first of all, is, is about praising God. It's nothing to do about us. And so you can obviously see in and poor stinky stank, uh, Stanley or Stanley stank up that that uh, he he has definitely put an interest on the person and a, and a focus that way and obviously that's a wrong wrong uh, place of worship. Pastor Amanda. Well, I think yeah, it's odd <laughs> that tradition could be something we want it to be because it's something that exists beyond us, and uh, there are traditions or things of the world that have come in the past that are quite wrong and do need to be deconstructed and reviewed. And But th what we're speaking about specifically are these things that f are quite transcendental and yet are eminent. They are things for us to hold on to and touch and see and taste, uh, especially when we're talking about the Lord's Supper and things even like baptism. They are experiences by which God makes his grace known to us. And so these, this is the beauty of the sacraments. This is the beauty of the church. It is a historical reality that can be seen and known and pointed at. And yet it also transcends the seeing and the knowing. It, it's far beyond all of that. And so as we look at these things and as you, the audience, begin to think about your practices and your church's practices, what is nostalgia? What is tradition? Uh, think then about, is this something that outlasts even me? Yeah. And and I think that's a good thing, a good question to to ask. Not is it older than I am or newer, because I think time, that becomes a murky measuring stick, whether it's old or new. But is this something that can transcend what I want? And is this something that is the transcendent and the transcendent being God? Is this something that God uses to reveal God's self? All right. So I think that's two who say this is a lie. Anthony? Yes. Yeah, I would certainly say that it is a lie. Um, and I think that in large part, you know, we're supposed to be glorifying God, which means to be praising God and to be revealing God. And you cannot do those things necessarily the way that you want to. We think that we get that we're entirely in charge of that sort of thing. But not everything you do reveals the nature of God. And so you have to be subject to God. And uh, for tradition to be whatever you want it to be is for what you do to be subject only to you and not to God whatsoever. All right, and I'm going to say it's a lie, too. Stanley Stankup, we'll be back to deal with you again next <laughs> week. So thank you for joining us. We are, again, Kingdom of the Logosh. You can donate monetarily at patreon.com slash kingdomofthelogosh. You can download us on SoundCloud, iTunes, a few different places where you get your podcast. Check us out on Facebook and YouTube. With that, God love you, and have a blessed day, and let's close in prayer. So let us pray. 
Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come together. I ask that you open up our hearts and minds to receive your wisdom, strength, and encouragement. Lord, we thank you again for the great mercies you've given us. As we come to contemplate tradition, let us always be moving near you. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And on that Amen. note, have a blessed day.